Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Uh, in today's episode, you will learn how political principles can help you improve your marketing. And that's something we've never talked about before in this podcast. We touched on politics a few times, but this is the first time I'm talking to a real political expert who's bridging the gap between uh, the two worlds. So my guest today has more than 20 years of experience in politics and marketing. He's worked with multiple 1,400 companies, a lot of experience working on campaigns with billions with a B of dollars in political ad spend, contributed to over 1,000 election victories, including hundreds of US House campaigns and dozens of Senate campaigns and even three presidential victories. So as you can hear, not even see, as you can hear, my guest has a lot of experience in this area. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him today. Furthermore, he founded Go Big Media in 2015. Uh, he's won more than uh, 30 prestigious awards, They work with U.S. senators, governors, and all of the other politic terms you've heard of. He's been featured in Inc., in Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, Fox Business even called him a marketing genius. So as you can see, his, his biography is, is quite the biography. Philip Stutz, welcome aboard. Oh, what an honor to be here. I'm fired up and excited to deliver for your audience today. Let's roll. Let's roll indeed. So before we go into this politic marketing, how can the two worlds learn from each other? Let's define what politic really is. Like, how do you define very simply what does it mean to be in politic or to be involved in politic? Yeah, I mean, I uh, grew up in the state of Alabama and I basically had two passions growing up, which was uh, football, not soccer, but football and uh, college football. My university where I went to school was the University of Alabama. That's a very famous college football team. And uh, but I'm five, nine, 150 pounds. So the, the being able to play that sport, what it really wasn't in my future. And then the other passion I really had growing up as a little boy, was politics. I, I just thought it was fascinating. It was obviously much different political atmosphere than, than what people are currently living on. I'm 44 now. So this was a long time ago. So I just decided when I was in college that I had to do something I was passionate about or I couldn't, I didn't think I could be successful in life. And so I got into working on political campaigns. So these are politicians that run for office and they have people that work for them that are running their marketing programs for their campaigns. And I did that and I've been doing it for over 20 years now. And then, you know, what I ended up learning was the principles behind the way we run political marketing campaigns can give businesses exponential success. And the principles behind what we're doing is, is the premise behind the book that I wrote because I kept seeing shady marketers, sounds familiar, that put their needs ahead of their business clients, that the, that the a business owner would hire a marketing firm and the marketing firm always made money, but the business not always made money. And so the book that I wrote called Fire Them Now about firing a marketing agency was basically about how can business owners win at the game of marketing? How can they change the rules And it exposes the bigger lies that marketers are selling businesses so that business owners can be aware of those those secrets and those lies and turn it around and try to hire someone that puts their needs first. Right. So you managed to answer both questions at once. The first one that <laughs> I asked you. Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first one that I asked, but the one that I didn't ask, which I think is the first secret, right? Is like, don't, uh, don't answer the question. Answer another question you want to answer, right? So politics, before we go into marketing, how do you define it in layman's term? How do I define politics? Yeah. I think it is. Well, I would look at it from my own industry as working for people that are trying to better the society and the country that we live in. Right. And I have so many thoughts as soon as you started to talk about those shady marketers who are trying to make money off business owners. Because as soon as you said that, I thought, well, from my perspective, I would say the exact same for politicians, those shady politicians trying to make money off the back of the hard working people in every country, right? Yeah, but I want to be real clear on something. I'm not talking about politicians, right? What I'm talking about is how we market politicians to win elections. 
that is not shady. In fact, that it's crazy. It's like uh, this diamond in the rough of a bunch of shit. And <laughs> that diamond is the difference between a lot of businesses having an unbelievable success or being amongst the shit of marketers and having more failures. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. So yeah, obviously we're not going to debate if Democrats are better than Republicans. We're not going to debate which politician is doing a better job today. Instead, we're going to try to think about marketing a political campaign and apply those principles to marketing a business. A lot of our listeners are business owners or are the, they are in-house marketers or maybe they're starting to, they want to launch a product, they don't know how to market to them. So together, let's define those principles that you learn, shall we? I love it. So what is the number one kind of principle you learn? Uh, and perhaps instead flipping it on its head, what is the biggest mistake you see marketers doing or business owners doing when it comes to their marketing? Uh, such a good question. So what I would tell you is, and it's, it's not one thing that I would tell you will help businesses and marketers, especially those that don't have big budgets. It's, it's three things. And that is what I call the three R's. And every politician, every political campaign I've ever worked on, we sort of go into it and say, okay, how are we implementing the three R's? And the three R's are relationships, reputation, and referrals. Okay. So what I mean by that is this, the politician has a certain amount of status and we use that to build relationships with voters. Those voters will then in turn vote for that politician. The status is the reputation, if that makes sense, right? So we have this reputation that's built on status. We use it to build the relationship with the voter. And then the third R is referral. And then we get those voters to promote, to donate money, to do whatever, to refer other voters to the campaign. And ultimately, that results in that politician winning. There's one other aspect to this, and it's called speed, and the reason I think this is so important is because if you don't have massive budgets and in politics, remember, in most political campaigns, I start with zero dollars. I don't start with millions of dollars. Over time, our candidates can raise money only when we build their credibility through our marketing, but we have to do it on the cheap. We have to do it with low dollars. And that the speed part of where I'm talking about is that in every marketing campaign I ran, I've run in politics for over 20 years. We've always had a deadline of whether we win or whether we lose, and it's election day. And when you have election day, you don't hold 7,000 meetings to talk about a concept. You don't debate or you don't put your head in the sand and get paralyzed with fear. You have the ultimate deadline. And if I'm to look at my own business, then I would tell you that you know, everybody knows whether I win or lose all of my competition and they will bury me if I lose more than I win. I'll be out of business. So my my number one priority is how do I constantly serve my client, innovate for my client, move fast for my client, execute for my client, put a strategy that wins, test things that either don't work or do work and then put all the money into the things that do work. How fast do I have to move? Because my entire business is predicated on deadlines. And what business owners struggle with is the fact that there's never a real deadline for a marketing campaign. It's let's just launch it and hope we get a good ROI. And so my thing is this. As a marketer, if I know I have a deadline, then my only my number one priority is my candidate. It's if the candidate that's running for the office wins the election. If that candidate wins the election, guess what? That candidate remains my client and I make more money. I can brag about my win. I can submit our work for awards. But that only happens if my candidate wins. And that's a metaphor for business owners. Are the marketers in there? First and foremost, thinking about growing a business. Are they thinking about, hey, why don't I sell them something quick and hot and flashy and make some money and then they're not going to see any, any success out of it and we're going to get fired, but at least we got paid? Or is the marketer going, you know what, let's build this the right way. Let's make sure that this company is growing over the long term, because if we grow over the long term, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to tout my success. And so that's what I want business owners to think about 
before they hire a marketing agency. Now, I'm going to answer your last one. The last one is what what was the it was about being shady or the things that I that I've seen that people have made mistakes on. Is that right? Yes. Yep. My number one pet peeve in life is marketers that market to tactics without a strategy. And I, every business that comes to, to our company, our marketing agency has basically been sold tactics. They've been sold, you know, we'll have a business come in and I say, well, why are you talking to us now? And they go, well, we ran a bunch of Facebook ads and we, we have some SEO up and, you know, we're not really seeing much. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a tactic. That is not a strategy. Running some Facebook ads is not a strategy. And I hate tactics. And 98% of marketers out there will go, hey, let's just put up some, uh, some Facebook ads. And, and by the way, I can get you 30 leads in 30 days. By the way, they're all crappy leads. So they aren't real leads. And by the way, you now have forked over five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to that marketing agency. They got paid 50 50 chance you found any result, any you know positive result for your business. Here's what I know tactics can succeed, but they will always fail at some point. Always. We have a client that came to us, they're a $20 million client, and they had run a marketing program for basically 10 years, the same marketing program. And the marketing program was run on discounts for their business, okay? Mm -hmm. And they grew the company by $10 million by running a marketing campaign on discounts. In the last two years, they had spent $1.6 million on their discount marketing strategy. And they had, they had lost business. They had lost one, not only the $1.6 million in the marketing dollars, but they had also lost business. And they came to us and said, we can't figure this out. And I said, because you're marketing, how do you know that's what the customer wants? And they said, well, it works. And I think the most ignorant thing you can do is guess a marketing uh, strategy or a marketing tactic and then run with it and be successful because that ultimately is going to run out. And for this company, it ran out. And so we came, they came to us and I said, have you ever researched your own customers? Have you ever found what resonates with them? What drives them? What are the psychological drivers that get them to make purchasing decisions? And they went, no, we just ran on discounts. Well, what happened was they built their company for 10 years on discounts in a bad economy. It started in 2008. Well, discounts resonated with their customer base then. But when we ran research reports and psychological reports, and purchasing decision reports, we found out that that whole mindset of that customer had completely changed, that they wanted a higher quality and a higher standard than they wanted discounts. Discounts were cheap. And I would tell almost any business owner now, if you run around saying discounts, you're in deep shit. I want to make this point because I'm going to forget about it if I don't. In Ireland, there's this company that does exactly what you mentioned, the discounting stuff. And they say, like on TV, I see them bragging about discounting and that's the only thing they do and every single time i wonder how the fuck are they making money how the fuck are they sustaining a business with just discounting and cheapening their brand and sure enough in the last few years you can hear reports that the revenue is deepening and all of that so it echoes what you're saying here and my apologies for for cutting you on this one no 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 it's great and that's true it's a great example what we found when we went in and and did sort of a what we call it's an audience insights report when we found out what the the audience what their customers thought we found out that they had higher standards we also found out that they were bundling services bundling so they looked at they they said in their mind they said man a higher standard is to bundle and save money not to buy discounts and so once we went in and changed their marketing messaging to fit what their customers wanted, that's the strategy, by the way, figure out what the customers want and derive and build a relationship based on that. Once we figured that out, we also figured a bunch of other reasons why, why those customers were making purchasing decisions. And we reconfigured and we actually put a strategy in place based off data in the platforms they were going on. And that tweak has grown the business by $2 million in the last four months. Nice. So I'm sure listeners can't wait to know how to do that, right? So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. You mentioned the three R's a few minutes ago. Remind us what they are. It's reputation. So you must have a reputation that is, 
you know, a completely authentic and honest. It's relations, relationships. You must build relationships with your customers and they must not see you as a commodity because if you're seen as a commodity to the customer, you're replaceable. So it's building relationships with the customers. And the last is referral. The greatest way, and I know you do this uh, sort of case study where, you know, you have a thousand dollars and you do a startup. If you want to know the greatest way ever to grow your business without any money is referral, figuring out referral strategies. And so that's how we do it with politicians. That's how I've run my own business. I'll be honest with you. I started my political marketing agency less than four years ago, and I'm the one who wrote the first check because we had no money in the account. It's we've done it. We, we are over a $20 million business in less than four years. And I've never, ever, ever spent money on an ad. I've run my entire business and built it into an over $20 million business on the three R's. So let's talk about something you mentioned uh, briefly, but I think it's super interesting is the, the concept of not only when you have a political campaign to run, you have a deadline and therefore speed is essential and you don't have time to, to be scared about anything you need to do, do, do and move fast. So let's take the, the scenario of a company that is in this exact situation. Either they're losing money or they want to get started to truly grow. And let's set up an artificial deadline of like in the next six or 12 months, they need to see major return or else it goes under, right? So let's say you work with this company. You mentioned a few tactics, right? Such as running a customer insight report and all of that. Maybe we can dig into that. But more importantly, you said that what matters the most is to have a clear strategy that is led by what your customers are telling you, right? Am I remembering right? You're right. So how do you do that? What is the number one step? How do you go from, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm discounting the fuck out of everything. My mm. reputation is on the line. My company is losing money to, to this place where you're making money and you don't know almost what to do with it. What's number one step? So and it's the number one step we do in politics. It's the number one step. I won't work with any business that doesn't take the step. And it is to undergo a research, a psychological driver report on their customers or their ideal customers. And so in politics, it's this, you know, you've heard of polling and how you run polls to figure out how the candidates are doing. But inside a political campaign, we actually run polls to understand what issues are the most important. So if I let, let, me, let me use this because it's better from a metaphorical standpoint. In, in politics, a political candidate says, I believe in these 10 issues. They could be environmental issues, social issues, economic issues, whatever. And then we run a poll and we find out with the voters that, that this candidate is running, that the, the voters actually agree with that candidate on three of the 10 issues. You following me? Yes. Why would I run a marketing campaign that even ever, ever, ever talked about those seven things that, that, that there's no alignment with? Correct? So all of my marketing campaigns are based on the three issues where the candidate is, is believes in those issues and the voters are passionate about those issues. Those are drivers to them voting or in business sense, those are drivers to transactions. So I'm always trying to find what the alignment is first before I can build the relationship. And so that is where I start. No matter what, that is always what I do. You have to figure out first where you have alignment and why your customers are making decisions and what motivates and drives them to do that. And ultimately what platforms they're on to, to find them. So how do you go about it? What is step two then? How do you advise a business to do it? In a simple way, maybe not as complicated as some big political uh, yeah. players. So right? they, they, yeah, we, we initiate uh, research reports for every single one of our clients. And then we, we find that out. And then we can, from that, we can divide and write a plan, a long-term plan that says, let me tell you this. It's got, here is the biggest lie, one of the biggest lies in marketing today. And I'm going to be honest with you. I own two digital marketing agencies. Got it? The biggest lie in marketing today is that digital marketing is the tip of the spear for your marketing campaign. It is not. The tip of the spear is to build a personal connection with, uh, with your customers. Every single person in this country and around the world 
has a smartphone in front of their face right now. And so the marketers are know this and they tell these business owners, hey, everybody's got a smartphone in front of their face right now. People are scrolling through 300 feet of mobile content per day. Uh, everybody's on video and all this stuff. And by the way, that's all true. But why are you trying to compete in a space with 10 million or 10 billion people? Why not build and by the way, it doesn't cost anything to build personal relationships with your customers, to make them so loyal to you that they can't go or do anything without you or go to another company because they'd rather pay more to have the kind of service and relationship that you've built. And then you use digital platforms to reinforce the message, to reinforce the transaction, to reinforce the relationship. And so what we do in step two is we figure out the strategy is how are we going to connect People lack connection today. People are dying to have real connections, not artificial connections, not digital connections. People want to feel loved and cared about and wanted, and they want to buy into something they believe in. There's more purpose in the customer now than there ever has been. And so you must have a strategy that builds that, a plan that shows that, that shows how you're going to build that. That is not built overnight. But it is a sustainable model, whether the economy dies or not. So and let so, me let yeah. me stop you here because I understand putting the strategy together, and perhaps we'll have time in the next few minutes to actually talk about what is a strategy, what is not a strategy, because strategy is used left, right, and center to talk about stuff that are not really what a strategy is. And I know that you know exactly what it is, so I'm interested to hear that in, in the next few minutes. But let me backtrack a bit, a bit because. Step one is still very obscure to me. You mentioned uh, research on your customers, understand what drives them. What are the maybe the top three questions you like to ask? And how do you recommend businesses to go about researching? Uh, should they send an email to their customer? How should they go about it? Yeah, there are a bunch of different ways. So I'll tell you the sort of the you know, how we do it and then how are other ways, the ways you can sort of hack it, right? So first, um, we we make an investment, a small investment, and we have a, uh, we're one of the only marketing firms in the United States that has a licensing agreement with one of the largest data and analytics collection firms in the country. And then we use survey data. You'd be surprised by how many people are out there that will take surveys. And we take customer data, the customer of that company, customers, or if they don't have customers, we take the ideal customers and build lookalikes. And then we go in and, and find that audience, whether it's geographical or whether it's national or global or wherever. And then we can devise profiles. We can devise, I mean, we could literally, because we know, <laughs> I mean, if you sit down with some of these data companies, it's hilarious because they're like, we have a thousand data points on every single person, if not more, sometimes 10,000 data points on everybody. And we can divide, we can, you know, surmise based on all their purchasing decisions, based on the surveys, online surveys that they took that they may not have even realized. All of those things that you can figure out what their values are. You can figure out what drives them. You can figure out if they're willing to spend money or not. And you absolutely can find out what platforms they're on. And so, first of all, that is, if that's the high level way of doing it. If you don't have, you know, typically we, you know, uh, again, it's, we discount it. We basically do it for cost to show value to our, to our clients, but that can range anywhere from 3,500 to, to $4,900 to, to undertake. If you don't have that kind of money, then yeah, it literally, you should go and email current customers and figure out uh, why they love the product. What is driving them to repurchase the product? Um, you can actually go do man on the street stuff. If you're a business and you're a storefront, walk out and survey people outside. The bottom line is find out what people really think and what they feel and what motivates them and what drives them. Because ultimately, everybody wants to be heard and listened to. And that's the most critical part is to understand that and then deliver your marketing to serve that. So there's a few things. I've done this type of survey in the past and this panel and all. There is definitely alternative out there where you can poll people uh, who fit the demographic you want to you want to poll for actually not that expensive. So SurveyMonkey does it, SurveyMonkey panel. Uh, it's called SurveyMonkey audience. Uh, there's a very good startup recently called Pollfish that does it as well at a very good price. 
And all of those, anyway, if you, if you, I think if you Google survey panel and whatnot, you will find solutions out there to literally survey people who fit your criteria. And it could only cost you 200 or 300 dollars, depending on if it's a small population. So it's, it's actually easier than you think, right? Yeah. And my point is, so many people are scared. They go, oh my God, I'd have to spend $200, $300, or, you know, in the case of what we do, it's around three to $5,000. And I go, wouldn't you rather eliminate as much risk as possible before you go out and spend $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, whatever it is? Why wouldn't you eliminate the risk? Because there is so much risk in playing the tactics game and it's just not worth it. So, you can either invest early and make a lot of money and be a lot more sure that you're going to have success, or you can go guess it, but you're eventually going to come back to this point. Every single company that we worked with has come to this point and said, we have to do this now because we can't afford to make any more mistakes. And we've already wasted 20, 50, hundred and thousand dollars. And some people like the example I gave earlier is 1.6 million. I understand that some of the people that you are, are talking with, that, that your show, that your audience is out there, they don't have the money. And my point is, don't waste the money. Your money is valuable. Your business is valuable. Do everything you can to eliminate risk before you go out and market. So what questions should, should they ask to really understand their motivations? Because I think everyone understands and everyone can agree. Yes, you need to understand what drives them what their struggles are, why are they buying from you and whatnot. So maybe you can share, I know you're not going to share the entire insight report and the, all the questions you tend to ask, but maybe you can pick the top three or four questions that <laughs> one must ask to get some insight. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The audience insights report that we do for our clients ends up being 45 to 60 pages uh, long. So you could imagine you get your money's worth with it because it, it's so it's such a deep dive into the customer base. But really, you want to find out uh, you want to ask questions that are that are closed ended. Don't don't if you ask open ended questions, you don't always get the preferred or the right answer. And what I mean by closed ended questions is. You know, in pol I'll give you a great example. In politics, we'd ask it like this. Do you want uh, do you believe in tax cuts to put money into your pocket or would you rather raise taxes so the government can distribute it to, to the less fortunate? And all of a sudden they don't have a none of the above. Right. They have to answer it. Uh, we do this in a lot of social issues on, in politics. So, you know, the issue of the, the pro-life, pro-choice, the abortion issue we will say are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? You can't say I'm, uh, I'm really on the fence on that, right? Because most people are scared to get their opinions. So you have to ask closed-ended questions. So you need to figure out for your own business, what are the closed-ended questions that are most valuable to you? And if you're going to do SurveyMonkey or something like that, that's the most important thing. If you give people options, you tend to not get honest answers, and then you need to, to ascertain how do they collect their news? You know, what are the, the three platforms they visit the most? And give them choices. Don't say, don't leave it open-ended. Is it Facebook? Is it Snapchat? Is it, uh, is it tr TV? Because sometimes it's, you know, every one of our clients is sort of different. We have companies that come to us that are millennial and Gen Z based. We have companies that uh, that are old white dudes is the, is their primary audience or, or customer base. Those are two very different customer bases. They, they make purchasing decisions completely different and their platforms they consume are completely different. And so you've got to ascertain who's the ideal market, what do they value and what platforms are they on? And that would be the quick two minute idea of that. So how do you go about picking the, the answers uh, are picking the question you need to ask when it comes to to the values, what they believe in, what they, what they don't believe. Like, give me an example. Uh, you don't have to name the company, but give me an example of a question or a few questions that you that you actually design for a company. Yeah. So, oh, here's uh, yeah, here's a great one. So we did uh, work for a dental company that had you know many. They they have uh, lots of. I'm trying to, they're, they're more like an Invisalign company. Does that make sense? You know what Invisalign is? Those kind of like clear braces or whatever. And right. they had offices all over the country. And they were really trying to ascertain how they were 
they'd marketed, they hadn't made um, any money uh, in the last, you know, six months from their marketing. So they're trying to figure this out. They took an audience insight survey. And instead of asking, do you want your teeth to be straight? Uh, we asked, what are your favorite activities? Is it playing video games? Is it going outdoors? Is it, you know, we, we asked all these different activity um, questions. Well, what we found was that their customer base loves to go outdoors, loves to be out and showing that they're active, that they're, uh, that they're an active part of society. They, they tend to have uh, plastic surgery. They, you know, and all of a sudden you're able to look at the psychological decisions of this, right? And by understanding that they are active, that they go hiking, that they are canoeing, that they love to go on social media and show their activities and things like that, right? Because we'd find out they're on Instagram. So we're like, okay, they're active. They're doing all these activities. Then they're taking pictures of themselves on Instagram. You find out that significance is the driving force in their decision-making process. So how does our marketing take that company, that in, you know, Invisalign type company, and, and show the stories of customers that have had success with their product, but that are active, that are significant? And how do we highlight that in a way that that customer looks and goes, well, if I, if I get my teeth straight, I'll feel significant too. And so it's not about deceiving them. It's finding them where they are. Where are they? What are they valuing? Well, they value right now, they're valuing significance. They want to be made to feel significant. And so the strategy to build the connection with the customer is to highlight the significance of having straight teeth. As crazy as that sounds, it worked. And that's how we found it. Give me another example, because this one is, is really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Do you have any, another example of the type of questions you'll ask that led to interesting insights? I'm trying to think if we've done, we've done hundreds and hundreds of these. So I, I'd have to pick one out. We have a millennial based company and that millennial based company. What I mean by this is their customer base is millennials. I, 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 for privacy concerns, I just can't talk about the complete industry, but let's just say that the customers are millennials and they're also Gen Zers. And what we found in asking certain questions was that uh, th this particular company had done all their marketing on Facebook and they had built the company, I think, into a three or four million dollar company and they built it by running on Facebook. But again, they stalled and they didn't know why. And so the other side of this question is where are their consumers spending their time? So if you've got the right message and you know what drives them, then how are you delivering that driver in your marketing? And so we found that um, that these customers, <laughs> maybe 10 years ago, the millennials, well, the Gen Zers weren't coming up yet, but at the time, the millennials were on Facebook. Do you think they're on Facebook now? Nope. Nope. They're on Instagram and Snapchat. And it doesn't mean I need to go run Snapchat and Instagram, but it's like that's where they are. That's where they value. If you're going to promote your company and tell your company's story and make connections with your customer, then you need to be on those platforms highlighting that connection, highlighting that story. And they were in the wrong place. And they weren't Mac. They were trying to expand their business and they couldn't figure out why their expansions hadn't worked. It's because they were marketing in the wrong platforms. This is something that we like to talk about in this podcast quite a lot, right? So it, there is this concept in, in the startup industry. I don't know if you've heard it about like you have 19 or 20 channels to pick from. This is a book called, uh, from uh, a book called Traction, right? And there's like 20 channels to pick from. I need to, to test every single one of them to see which one works for you. I call bullshit on that because exactly as you said, Depending on the audience you have, you don't have to guess and hack your way into finding the channel that works because you will know where people hang out in the first place. So you can, you can already say, actually, Facebook, not for us. Advertising on TV, not for us. You can already pick and choose the top, maybe two or three channels that you know you need to dive into because people hang out there the most. I totally agree. So you mentioned finding out where they hang out what they do as well. So you also mentioned from a B2C standpoint, from like just people, like companies selling to just people, not companies necessarily, 
you also like to ask where they hang out, what they do, their activities. And then you, you start to, this is where the magic happens in a sense of marketing. You basically make the connection between, hold on a second, they spend a lot of time on Instagram. They spend a lot of time outdoors. Therefore, the link between what we said, which is like braces, clear braces, and what they, and, and, and how to sell to them is basically the fact that they want to look good, whatever they do, and, and all of that. So that's where the magic happens. So I'm curious before we dive into the strategy and linking the two together, do you have any other type of questions that you think lead to the biggest insight? So you mentioned two already. Do you have any, another one? I'll give you another example. How about that? Uh, the example, because it hit me while I was telling this one, and I actually write about this in the book. And the reason that we made the crossover from politics to business was because a friend of mine was totally fascinated by politics. And he's a he's a big entrepreneur and he's totally fascinated by politics. And so he comes to me and he says, I am sort of I, I'm totally any like enthralled by politics. Do you think the way you market could help my business? And this was uh, about three years ago. And so I said, oh, it's interesting. We should try that. And he said, okay. He goes, I got a problem. I said, what? And he said, he's a huge land developer in Hawaii. And he's got this land development company and they build houses. And he's like, we built this entire housing neighborhood in um, in Hawaii. And we're struggling to get people to buy these houses. And this is a great economy and there's no reason why they shouldn't. And I said, well, what did you do with your marketing? And he said, well, the people we, we you know, were talking to told us to go buy $50,000 ad in the Wall Street Journal weekend edition travel section. And we ran the ad and we got one lead. One. And I said, why would you do that? The people that read the travel section of the Wall Street Journal weekend edition, 75% of them live on the East Coast. They're not buying property in, in Hawaii. Like, that makes no sense. Why would you do that? Well, the marketing agency where I worked with made money. They bought 50000 worth of an ad. They got, a, they got a commission. Good for them. They made the money. Left this guy holding the bag. So we went in and, and, and went in to markets on a regional basis and started asking questions about uh, why they were, you know, why they bought homes, why they wanted, you know, all these things. And what we found was their customer, from the research, we found their customer base was based in three areas. One was in Hawaii. There was a military base a couple miles from this development. And no one had marketed to the fact that these people that are in the military may not want to live on their military base. So we said, my God, there's a market just down the road. We also went in and found in the research that people, that older couples that live in Arizona and California are looking for second homes in Hawaii. So we said we should be targeting, and we do this and think about this, we do this in politics too, we target voters. So we started targeting, you know, retired couples in Arizona and California that wanted second homes. Primary homes were the military families. This guy said, well, look, I, th we're going to test this. So he gave me like $5,000, $7,500. That's it. But that was the strategy was like, let's go to where they are. These are the people that want your product. And so we ran Un, you know, very creative ads, uh, you know, all the kind of things that entice people to want to uh, look at houses in Hawaii. And ultimately, we drove 743 leads with a budget of, you know, basically they started with a budget of 50 grand and got one lead. And we started with a budget of 7,500 and got almost, you know, got 750 leads, basically. Wow. All because of what the research told us. So we went to the right place and then we started building the relationship the right way. So how did you make the connection between these uh, old couples uh, living in those two states and the fact they wanted to buy in Hawaii? You started to talk about the, the questions you asked. You say, oh, we asked them why and then blah, blah, blah. And then you didn't say, uh, then you move on to results. So what question did you actually ask to find out? Well, it's, it's, it's the reason I'm not spending a lot of time on the questions is because we're actually monitoring their purchasing decisions. We're monitoring the way they're, re they're, they're researching things on the Internet. We're looking at the things that they're buying or the things that they're looking at. We're also monitoring what they've bought in the past. And they're, then they're also, in addition, they're also answering some survey questions 
that they, you know, don't know. So it just depends. And like, you know, the reason I started avoiding it because I've done 150 of these and every time the questions are different every time it depends on who the company is. It depends on what their outcome is and it depends on what we're trying to ascertain. Sometimes we're trying to figure out what drives and motivates them. Sometimes we're trying to find the geographic market. Sometimes it just depends. Everything depends. And what I'm telling you is the fundamentals, the principles behind this are to try to figure out closed-ended questions so people can't ramble or can't, people can't just give something that they're scared of, that they have to be backed into a corner to answer a question. And that's one of the ways that you can derive what works and what doesn't. Uh, granted, I'm not, I don't expect you to come up with questions that, that would fit everyone. But I think by taking a step back and understand the type of questions or an example of question, then they'll know what to do. I'm curious how you, so you mentioned that you have a partnership with a data company that basically provides you this data of like, they provide you data of people who accept you to share their information uh, about the way they purchase, the, what they purchase, how much they purchase, where they live and all of that, right? Yeah. By the way, I just remembered that one of the questions we asked on that real estate survey, which was, do you vacation in the mountains or do you vacation at the beach? That was one of the questions. So anybody that said the mountains, well, we knew that, that for this development, that wasn't going to be a fit, right? Because this was overlooking the ocean. So I, I do, I know we ended up asking a few uh, more than that, but I remember that one uh, in particular. Sorry. I wanted to make sure I gave value on that as well. Sure. Makes sense. So I was talking about the, the purchase data in, in particular. Yeah. Like, so, so I think there's a nice principle, uh, not a principle, but a system called uh, the RFM, recency frequency monetary value in retail in particular, which is about the more recently, the more frequently, and the more you buy, the more likely you are to buy again. Right. And so I think this is a nice way to understand that type of, of items. I suppose that from, from this example of the houses in Hawaii, you try to look at who is the population that tends to buy houses in Hawaii in particular, who are, what do they have in common, right? Where do they live? How much do they earn? What is their age and all of that? Totally. Yes. So how do you pick the right audience? How do you know this is it? Oh shit, we have the audience that we need. Let's go after it. Well, that's where, you know, we come in and we help devise the strategy. We try to understand now that we know the market. Now we want to figure out how to target them effectively. Now we know what makes them want to make purchasing decisions. And so our branding, our conversions, our, our referrals, our repurchases all have a strategy behind them. And it's all to make human connections. It, it, that's the lead. So I'll give you an example, uh, and this isn't a client. This is a company. There are two the two companies recently did this to myself, and it's brilliant. And we've instituted this in a lot of companies now that we work with. Uh, one is the is the fashion designer named Billy Reed out of New York, and my wife. I gave her a gift card to Billy Reed because she loves his clothing, and she uh, bought thousand dollars worth of clothes uh, with the gift card. When the clothes came in the mail. There was a handwritten note in the box and it said, we're so touched that you spent this money on our clothes. If anything doesn't fit, send it back. Uh, anything you ever need, here's my personal cell phone number. Give me a call. This is like the store manager. And my wife read that and said, I will literally buy clothes from them the rest of my life. They cared enough to write a handwritten note to me. That is a customer for life. My wife will, unfortunately for me, she'll spend thousands of dollars on this place in the next few years. That's not that hard. That's one aspect, but that's an example of how you build personal relationships. This happened again recently. Um, I have uh, a very unique diet. And one of the things I order is I try to eat very clean and I can't eat peanuts, but I can eat pecans. And there, and I love, I used to love peanut butter. So I'm trying to find an alternative. So now I order pecan butter and pecan butter. There is a company out of Louisiana called Gidry's uh, Pecan Butter. And Gidry's is organic and it's clean. And I've ordered pecan butter from other people before. And, and this order came in. And when the, the jars of pecan butter came in, they, there was a, a personal note attached that said, thank you so much for buying our product. 
My dad says that if you drop some of this pecan butter on vanilla ice cream, you'll buy from us for life. You'll love it so much. You should try it. How cute and creative is that? Like that was personal. It wasn't a form letter. Nobody, I mean, they took the time to write a note to me. So I wrote a blog about it. And then I posted it and it's, they, they've, you know, responded and said they've had hundreds of orders based on my one blog about writing about it. That, that didn't cost anything to anyone. The hundreds of people that ordered from these people did so because I told a story about how they built a relationship with me. They made a connection with me. No other pecan butter company out there did that. One thank you note. That's it. And by the way, I'm giving you one of hundreds that we will do for as a company for people. But that's one example of how you make connections. Now, if I'm Gidry's and I'm running a marketing campaign, then I'm constantly going to run ads on me because I'm a purchaser and I'm a fan. And I'm going to reinforce my brand and my story. And then I'm going to always remember to tell that brand and tell the story of this company to anyone and everyone. I'm going to become their free salesman. Doesn't cost them a dime for me to be out there being an advocate for them. And that's what I'm trying to get businesses to do and understand that you're trying to compete in the digital space and platform with 10 million ads right now. And no one gives a shit about your goddamn company if they don't know who you are and if they don't believe in your product and they're not a loyal fan. So you must build that connection first. If I saw a Gidry pecan butter ad on my Facebook feed, I'd probably click on it because I like them and I believe in them and I'm a customer for life now. The interesting thing about all of those examples, and by the way, thanks for sharing them, is it's clear that good marketing starts from one, having a good product, right? I mean, you can't, you can't just, you can't just uh, hack your way in, into selling a lot of stuff for a lot of years with a shitty product. So granted, you have to have a good product, like your pick and butter example. But secondly, and this is the most important thing. If you don't understand your audience enough, if you don't have a narrow audience where you can actually, as you mentioned a few times in this podcast, as you can actually know exactly where they live, the type of stuff they like, the type of stuff they don't like, what they agree on, what they don't agree on. If you don't have that, then you can't do good marketing and you always try to employ tactics instead of a good strategy. So it feels like a good marketing strategy always starts with customers, always starts with your audience in mind, and in particular, a narrow audience that you know very well and a good product that goes with that. You know, I call it the Chick-fil-A economy. And the Chick-fil-A economy, are you familiar with the company Chick-fil-A? Yes. Okay. Ch the Chick-fil-A economy is what it is. Chick-fil-A focuses on three things. They have a commitment to helping others. They have a, a total investment into, into being authentic, which is their product is so good. And they market to emotion and connection. So the commitment to others is they've given away, I think, $19 million in, in the last few years to charity. That's great. But they give every they, – they close all their stores every Sunday. And the reason they do that is to give their staff and their employees the chance for a, a day of rest and reflection. Now, that doesn't work for every business or most food businesses – but it is that's the commitment they made was to their employees first. And then then the authenticity side, they have the best product of any fast food chain. And although they're only open six days a week, they are now one of the top, I think, five fast food chains in the in the country, in the United States. Think about that. They're not even open seven days a week. And their product. I mean, here's an example. We had a party recently where we had uh cheese and charcuterie uh, platters and fruit platters and dessert platters. And my wife went out and bought a hundred chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A and she put them in a bowl. And within one hour of people showing up at that party, it was empty and none of the other food had been touched. <laughs> That's a great product. That is an authentic product. And then the last thing is they market to emotion. So one of the things that I talk about in my book is that, you know, the, the best thing you could ever do is get the, in, to earn the loyalty of your customers is to run a comparative ad strategy or ad campaign that drives eyeballs. It drives it drives results. It drives transactions. 
And in politics, we get this because we run a lot of negative ads on our opponents. And I'm not talking about those kind of negative ads, but I am talking about running a comparative ad strategy that offends no one, but absolutely labels your competition as inferior in their brains. It brands it. And so Chick-fil-A for years has run an incredible, like funny ad campaign where they make themselves the villain. And they showed these cows are walking around like, you know, in front of people and the cows are saying, eat more chicken, like save our lives, eat more chicken. <laughs> right. So the Chick-fil-A has made this funny, connecting, emotionally connective ad where they're saving the cows lives by going to Chick-fil-A. They've turned the tables on themselves. No one's offended by it. They've run the campaign for almost 20 years. That's been that effective. And I guess I'm telling you all of these things today because how many marketing campaigns will you run? How many? Like that uh, $20 million business I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, they, they're now on their second marketing campaign in 10 years. Chick-fil-A, the, the example I just gave, has for over 20 years, they've been running the same different you know, ads, same concept, same strategy, emotionally connecting to their customers. And they've grown it into one of the largest companies, fast food companies in the world. How many marketing campaigns are you going to run? And how many do you need, how many mistakes do you need to make before you want to run one for 10 years or 15 years or even 20 years? And the point is you got to get it right from the beginning. And the thing that I love about your podcast is like you identify all the time the idiotic tactical things that people do. And it drives me insane. And and what I'm trying to get businesses to do and by the way, if you're a business owner and you come to me and say, I want you to hire, I want to hire you and uh, I need you to run some Facebook ads, I literally will say no. Even if you were to hand me a $10 million check, I won't do it because I'm not in it to be unethical. I'm in it to grow the business first. And the only way to grow the business is to do your research and understand your customer and then build a strategy that connects with them in an emotional way and then using your marketing to re uh, to reinforce that relationship. And that's really the key to the whole thing. It is. Thanks for summarizing all of that with this final example. I spent 10 months in the US a few years ago as a student and I ate too many, too much chicken filet and I miss it. I still, <laughs> I still dream about it someday. Uh, so if, if you're not living in the US or haven't eaten in a chicken filet before, please do. It's, uh, it's an experience. People are nice and, and all of that and all the stuff you mentioned. On the back of that, um, what are the top three best resources you would recommend our listeners today uh, to practice the type of marketing that you, that you mentioned? It could be a podcast, a book, it could be anything. Well, I think if you're going to get started and you don't have a lot of money, I think there's a book called Profit First that people could read. It basically talks about how do you build a successful, sustainable business? Now, I'm talking about an accounting, by the way, not marketing. But this one is really good. Uh, the, the thing about my businesses, I built my businesses to, like I said, over 20 million. I don't have any debt. I have zero debt. And I did it basically in the fundamentals of the book. Uh, I recently read the book, and now we're going to implement some of the things in the book. So I think it's really important. If you want to build a sustainable business, not put yourself in debt to take a look at that book. Uh, the other book I really that really meant more to me than anything is a book called Driven to Distraction. I believe it's by Ned Hallowell. And it basically talks about how we are less focused on doing good work. And the importance of understanding your brain and how it fires and when it's the most effective and when it needs rest and to devise your entire day based on the way your brain is the best, it works the best. And that one little hack has probably literally made me millions of dollars because I stopped doing, um, you know, my, my brain in the morning, you know, early in the morning to mid morning is on fire. I, I can be <laughs> analytical. I can study, I can write, I can do that. And then uh, I have to take a break and then I have lunch. And then I literally for about an hour and a half, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I'm so damn tired. And so what I ended up doing was, you know, instead of doing conference calls in the morning, instead of doing, uh, you know, sort of accounting work, which is kind of fine, uh, fun, mindless work for me, 
Um, I, I, I put those things around the time when I'm tired, when it's going to boost my energy up. And I block off every single morning to study and learn. And that's the third thing. There's a concept by a guy named Keith Cunningham, who uh, is a mentor to me, and he calls it thinking time. And it's basically writing a question that you need answered, putting down your phone, going into a, a sitting down in a chair, getting a pen and paper and spending 35 to 40 minutes uninterrupted writing an answer to that one question. And what happens in that process is the first 15 minutes, everything that's on the top of your head comes off, all the low-hanging fruit. The next 15 minutes, you hit a wall, but you can't stop. You must power through. And the last 15 minutes of this thinking time, you have explosive ideas that you never thought of. And even if one of them is is acted upon, you could have an incredible idea that takes you to another height and you figured it out yourself. And the pride in knowing that is unbelievable. And people don't spend the time thinking and writing and trying to solve problems anymore. They want the quick pill that solves all their problems. And if I'm to tell you anything, the thinking time process, which you can go on YouTube and Google Keith Cunningham thinking time and find out more about it is the most impactful, most impactful exercise I have ever undertaken in my life. The greatest referral ideas for my own business have come out of thinking times. Uh, everything I, that I drive towards when, I, when I'm trying to be analytical goes back to my thinking times. And it all derives from that one practice. And so I think it's incredibly important for people to think like that. Agreed. Uh, morning pages are a bit similar as well, and I concur with uh, everything you said. It's really valuable. Uh, Philip, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me today and, and answer my challenging question at times. And, and sorry again for interrupting you uh, multiple oh, times, man. but that's what I, I do. Lo I love to be challenged. This is all great for me. This I want to serve your audience. And listen, I have two things for your audience in case they're interested. They can go to uh, philipstutz.com backslash audit. And my company will give them, it takes five minutes to fill it out. My company will give them a free marketing audit. We'll tell you what your company is doing well, what your company could improve upon. And we'll put together a, you know, four page report. And, you know, as a special bonus, my team will do a free consultation call on that report uh, if, if it interests them. And the other one is if they just want... Uh, to download the three things you should know before you hire or fire a marketing agency, uh, they can go to philipstutz.com backslash offer, and that's free as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of that. Absolutely. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as a -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also... Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker so thank you so much once again and au revoir
And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.